Acts chapter 20, begin reading at verse number 28, we find these words. And while you're turning, let me again thank you in advance for the 21 days of prayer and fasting that you're embarking upon. I hope that you will take it serious. Uh, we certainly need the mind of God during this time of transition especially. And for the many needs that we've put out in that prayer manual for you, uh, if you've not picked up a little brochure, you'll find them out in the table in the circle, uh, the center table out in the circle. Uh, I think it will be a good guide for you in your time of prayer and fasting this, this month. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to the, all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. I want to talk this evening a few minutes about a subject, the wolves, uh, watch out for the wolves. Here we have read into your hearing tonight Paul's farewell address uh, to the church at Ephesus. From reading of this text, we get to understand just how much Paul loved the church. And Paul loved the Lord Jesus Christ of the church. He could say of Jesus Christ that it's in him that I live and that I move and that I have my very being. Paul was a man who loved the church and gave his life for the church and for the ministry of the church. He used such words as this being the church of God. This was not just some fly-by-night organization. It was not some cult. It was not some man-made idea. But yet Paul called it the church of God. It belongs to the almighty God. And then he also used some terms of endurement when he referred to the church as the flock. Can you imagine? The, we're the flock of the Almighty God. And for that, we could see the tenderness and the love that Paul had uh, for the church of the living God. Also, on top of that, here comes an answer to prayer. God bless you. We prayed for you all. <laughs> Glad you made it. Also, on top of that, you'll understand that prior to Paul's conversion, he had a hatred uh, toward the church. Uh, he persecuted the church. He tried to silence the message of the church, and he tried to stomp out anyone uh, that was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord. Uh, we know that he had letters in his pocket heading to Damascus, going to arrest all the Christians that he could, going to put them in jail, put them in prison, and kill as many as possibly could be killed. Can you imagine having such hatred for Christianity? Can you imagine having such hatred for the church? Can you imagine having such hatred for a resurrected God Christ who did nothing but love and turn? And yet that's who 
this man by the name of Paul was. Then Paul had that magnificent experience on the road to Damascus uh, where the resurrected Jesus Christ appeared unto him and said, you are persecuting me. And now the Lord of the church he saw face to face and now Saul's life was transformed. No longer was he breathing out threatening and slaughter against the people of God, but now he became one of those people of God. He now was in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. A man whose heart was so full of hate and so full of prejudice and so full of the vileness of sin and yet he was transformed by the love of God, the grace of God and the power of God that he now loved the church itself. God put in the heart of this man a great love for the church. With that being said, do you love the whole church tonight? Do I love the whole church tonight? Or do we love part of the church that ministered unto us? Or do we just love the church that was able, uh, the part of our life when we first got saved? I made up my mind a long time ago that I am going to build up and love what Jesus Christ builds up and preparing for. I made up my mind a long time ago that if Jesus Christ was willing to die for the church, I am going to purpose in my mind to love the same church uh, that he himself died for. We're talking about the whole totality of the church today. I've decided if Jesus loved the church enough to die for it, I am going to love the church enough to support it with my prayer, support it with my finances, support it with my presence, and support it through the ministries that God has raised up within it. The church is important. Not only did Jesus die for the church, thank God he is living for the church today and one day he's going to come back and receive the church unto himself and that's the blessed hope uh, that we have tonight. In the case with Paul's message, he gives a word also of a stern warning as well as a caution. The Holy Spirit revealed to the Apostle Paul that the future days of the church would be filled with difficulty. In many respects, the Apostle Paul uh, was a watchman set upon the wall. Uh, the Apostle Paul was like an alarm clock ringing a bell simply saying, beware, uh, there's trouble on the horizon. Uh, Paul was almost like a hurricane hunter, if you will. Uh, he was looking in the future and seeing that there were some adverse winds coming our way, understanding some perilous times were going to come, understanding that all hell was going to break loose uh, against the church in the future as it was coming along the way. We understand that there was some winds kicking up there and some storms up ahead because the Apostle Paul said in verse 28, take heed. He also said in verse 31, watch and I cease not to warn you. May we adhere the warnings of the Apostle Paul about impending dangers that will be knocking upon the door of the church. We have a word regarding spiritual direction. Again, Paul says in verse 28, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. In Jeff Davis' translation, get yourself a hold of yourself by the seat of your britches and line up with what God's Word says to line up with. He says here in verse chapter 20 and 17, he called the elders of the church, and that's whom he was writing to, he called the elders of the church, and in verse 28, he calls them overseers. And he also told them to feed the church of God. To feed the church of God. Too many churches today are not feeding. Too many churches today are shearing the sheep. Too many churches today are not feeding the word of God. Uh, we're giving sloppy joes. 
and we're giving junk food and we're giving things that makes us feel good but has no spiritual death or spiritual stamina to it or nourishment whatsoever. Secondly, uh, we have a warning uh, uh, about spiritual deception. In verse 29, Paul said, states, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Jesus said something analogous to that himself when he said uh, in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving, hungry wolves. There is no doubt about it. The wolves are on the way. The wolves have been knocking upon the door of the church for a long time. When you read Paul's letter to Ephesus, he said, let no man deceive you with vain words. The wolves are on the way. Uh, they were coming to the church. And when Jesus Christ wrote to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2.2, he said this, you have tried those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. The wolves were already there. Let me tell you, friends, we are not in the sweet by and by. We are in the nasty now and now. And we better be vigilant. We had better know the word of God. We had better know those who labor among us. And we had better know what God's word says. For if we don't, we can be deceived uh, by those uh, uh, wolves that come in sheep's clothing. Notice, if you will, uh, what the Holy Spirit said uh, when he was talking to Paul. He, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle Paul. He talks to us about enemies coming into the church from the outside and then he talked about enemies coming to the church from the inside. The wolves are from the outside. The wolves are coming. May I remind you, what would Paul write to American churches about today? What would the Apostle Paul write to the church around the world today if he were alive? What is it he would warn us of indeed if he was alive and writing epistles uh, to the world today? I think he'd have written some things that are in America over, over time, and that's this. I think about the wolf of atheism. If you do not think that atheism is trying to hinder and hurt and destroy the church, then you have not been keeping up with the news. You have not been watching the newscast. You have not been reading the paper, and you've not listened very much to what's going on on the Internet. There is an all-out effect out there in this world that is throwing God right out of the public square, throwing God right out of our school, throwing God right out of everything in the public life. It's now, it can be a crime if you pray in school. You can't have the Bible in school. That's been going on for years and years and years. And now people are offended if you invoke the name of Jesus Christ at a ball game. People are offended if you have anything at all to do with Christianity. Uh, you can't put a cross here. You can't put in the seen there. Why? Humanism is coming against us as a wolf and that wolf shows its teeth and Christians like a spoiled pup will go into our den and bury and say, oh God, we don't want to cause any trouble. Let me tell you, trouble is already here. And if we as Christians do not take a stand and stand for what is right, humanism will destroy us. The wolf will beat up on our door. He will huff and puff until the church is closed and we will be put out of business. We're facing in this country the wolves of humanism. We're taught that man is the solution to his own problem. 
Man inheriting every man is a problem, but mankind uh, is the answer. Uh, so in order for our answers to come, all we got to do is get the government bigger and bigger and bigger. We just throw more money at the problem. Uh, we put more politicians in charge. We have more uh, committees to study the, uh, what's going on with on our planet, within our world. But that is a falling deck of cards that's around about us. I remind you that there's some problems inherent within mankind that money cannot solve. Uh, there's a lot of problems that mankind's facing today that the government has no iota how to help. As a matter of fact, we're hearing much from these brains and, and politics today that are pushing us further and further and further away from the things of the Almighty God. But I'm here to tell you this evening, there are some things that happen in the heart and the soul of mankind that only God can fix. And if we have kicked God out of the church, if God is not allowed to minister to humanity, there is no hope in this world for time or for eternity. There's also tonight the wolf of materialism at work uh, in the church around today. The wolves of materialism would have our children to believe and our young people to believe tonight uh, that, uh, that, that the fact of the matter is that their existence came in by chance rather than for some divine creation that God had for them. When our children and our youth and our people of society uh, feel like they came from animals, they're going to live and act like animals themselves. Have you ever in your life seen so much sin and debauchery that we're seeing today? and it's accepted in our society. I, I, I can't believe it. I've seen a few things in passing and I don't want to see it. But do you know the gross movies are out there? The horror, the blood-sucking, literally face-eating people in this world that we call that entertainment. I heard something on the news the other day that one kid was on drugs so high that he literally gnawed off the face of a man and chewed his face down to the bone and thought nothing was wrong with that. What's wrong with our society? When we have no moral compass, when we don't let God within the church, when we throw the baby out with the bathwater, this is what we get as a society tonight. And yet there is so much of that materialism at work in the world today. No wonder the behavioral, behavioral level of many of our youth and our children and young adults, uh, they, they, they have no conscience because they have no moral guide. Our nation are going, is going to the dogs. And forgive me for offending or embarrassing the dogs tonight. But it seemed like we're going to the cotton-picking dogs this evening. We want to remove moral absolutes. We want to introduce ungodly sex practices within our schools. However, there's some moral absolutes. There's some moral laws of God. All of God's moral laws are unchanging. And yet our society tries to change them every day. But it will not work. Let me tell you why. Because God is going to have a people. God is going to have a church that cannot be bought, that will not compromise, that will not cow town to the pressures of this world. And the people that's trying to change the moral laws of God, they might as well take a squirt gun and try to bring down Mount Everest because it's not going to come down. God said, I have established my word and I may not have a large crowd, but God's in the remnant business that will not bow, that will not bend, that will stand high and lofty for a God who has spared their life and changed them. Here Paul was messed up in humanism, uh, messed up in socialism, messed up whatever the isms you can think of, perhaps not socialism, but messed up in all the isms you can think about. But when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he sold out to Jesus Christ, lock, stock, and barrel. And he said, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives on the inside of me. You can go ahead and throw me in jail. I'm going to shout praise to God. You go ahead and put stripes on my back. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. You go ahead and try to shut me up, and I'm 
want to speak out the much louder. You tell me I can't pray, the God I pray to will come down and do something in my life. Let me tell you, it's not time, friend, to bow down to the wolves. It's time to let the Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, rise up on the inside and come against the wolves that's menacing society today. I don't have it three more times to preach. So let me get it out of me. In Acts 20, 30, Paul made a serious announcement. He said, but of your own sakes, selves, men shall arise speaking perverse things with twisted, distorted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul is getting down to serious business. Paul is getting down where the rubber meets the road. Paul is getting down to where the dangerous times are coming. And the danger of spiritual deception is not only from the outside. The danger of spiritual deception is also from the inside. The temple of truth is not only being affected and hit from the outside. The temple of truth is also being affected and hit from the inside. It's not just the woodpeckers on the outside that's trying to nibble away at the church. It's the termites on the inside that's also doing a good job of trying to destroy the church as well. Paul said inside the church, people begin to distort the message of the Bible. I want to tell you something, church. There are those who claim to be Christians who deny the basic doctrines of God's word. There are those that claim to be Christians. They do not believe the fundamental truths of God's word. There are those that claim to be Christians and yet they themselves do not believe what thus saith the word of God. They will preach one way on Sunday morning and yet they'll go out and vote another way on Tuesday afternoon. And there are those that get in the pulpits and behind the lectures of Sunday school classes and in our choirs and et cetera, et cetera, who claim, oh, Jesus is so good and I love the Lord and I'm going to heaven. But yet Monday through Saturday, they're doing everything they can to pull down the pillars of civilization, to pull down everything that the Judeo-Christian ethic has formed. They're trying to destroy our nation in the name of political correctness, in the name of humanism, in the name of socialism, and all of these isms we've talked about, they're trying to crush it down. But oh, we go to church on Sunday and we take communion. We, oh, we, I love Jesus. Those are the termites. Those are the wolves that are already inside the church. Many modern day scholars today dealing with God's word are not even born again. When I went to get study about my getting a doctorate degree, and by the way, I'm educated by my intelligence, in case you don't know it. When I went to study in different schools, I went to one, the university, and locally. Not Assembly of God, not a, a local secular university. I talked to the chairman of the religion department, which I don't understand. Why do universities, even Christian, have religion departments? Religion is man's attempt to find God. Why can't we have theology departments where God's words revealed to us? But this clown, forgive me, he was as lost as a ball in high weeds. I told him what I was after, and he, 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 was, he was explaining the way, the word of God, and he's a professor, PhD, post hole digger, whatever, PhD in religion. And he laughed more or less at me for wanting to go deeper and understand that God's real, the word is powerful. The blood saves. The Holy Ghost is real and relevant. Amen. But not to him. 
We have men and women teaching our children and our teenagers in colleges around America that are brainwashing them and feeding them a line. Thank God for Christian teachers. But friend, if the Christian teachers are the Nicodemuses and the secret disciples by night, they're no better off behind the lecturing than those who are atheists. You say amen anyway. Many of the modern day scholars in with God's word are not even saved. I've got a feeling that if you were digging for ignorance, if you went about a quarter of an inch in the skin to the skull of some of these so-called professors, you'd hit a gusher. They deny the integrity of God's word. They deny the power of God's word. I have gone to school, to college, Bible college. Back in the day it was Bible college. Back in the days they sat around the table in the cafeteria and talked about the Lord. Not about some rock and roll singers as they do today. When I went to Bible college, where we prayed and where the gifts of the Spirit operated in our classes, the day I went to Bible college, and yet even then, I remember students coming to college and backsliding. Their faith was challenged. And when we go to secular universities and we're brainwashed by some of these smooth-talking wolves in sheep's clothing. Talk many of our children, our students, that the church has poured their life into, parents have poured their life into, in a matter of two or three semesters, they have been brainwashed to where the Bible is no longer relevant, where God is no longer alive, where the blood no longer works, and we're out here now fending for ourselves, oh God. You don't even exist. I can do what I want. I've watched it happen over and over and over again. For God's sake, pray for our children. We've taken the Bible in the name of Christian scholarship and turned the Bible into a scrapbook. There are termites on the inside the night church. The wolves on the inside. So many scholars that have dummied down the word of God and explained it away. I recently heard of a Christian university that canceled chapels so they could have dances on the inside. Some of our Pentecostal forefathers would turn over in their graves if they knew what was going on in some of our schools of higher learning. The termites and the wolves have gotten together. I said the termites from the inside and the wolves from the outside, the woodpeckers from the outside, they've got together and they're trying in many places with success to tear the church down. I read a story about a man that was dying his pastor called him up and said, can I come and be with you? Oh, yeah, please. The pastor knocked on the door and showed up, chatted a while, and the pastor said, can I read the scripture to you? Can I pray? Oh, yeah. He said, honey, go get my Bible. And the wife went out and got his old man's Bible and came back in and handed it to the pastor. He looked at it. It was torn to pieces. He looked at the Bible and said, you have torn this Bible all to pieces. This thing is mutilated. What did you do? He said, when I was able to go to church, I said, in your ministry for many years, Pastor. And he said, when you told us that this scripture is no longer relevant, I came home and ripped it out on the Bible. When you told me this, this particular chapter no longer was effective, it was old-fashioned and archaic and no longer applicable to my life, I ripped those chapters out. He said, Pastor, take this Bible. All I've got left as I go into eternity 
is this mutilated Bible that you provided for me. To me, that's heavy. The wolves of liberalism are among us. The wolves of liberalism are on the inside of the church, and they often come in sheep's clothing. I want to warn each of us who watch Christian television. There's good ones out there. But friend, be aware. Beware. There's some out there that are on 24 hours a day that are phenomenal. And there's some out there on 24 hours a day that say, dear God, how do they stay in business? They have enough truth in what they're saying to hook you. But yet some of the teaching is so off the wall. But if you're indoctrinating it over and over and over, you'll allow them to change your thinking of what this right here says. But if you know what this right here says, when you hear that, you'll cut it off. But yet so many people are so hungry, they believe anything that comes. Can I just be honest and be blunt for a few minutes? Do you mind? I don't understand, and, and God forgive me, and you can help me, but I don't understand how you've always got to give money into a particular ministry to be blessed. 89 reasons for you to send $89. If you send within three weeks, you're going to have this. Show me where that's at. People can manipulate us. There was one preacher on TV years ago. He would send you a picture of himself on a rug. And then you got ready to pray. You put your knees on his knees and your hands on his hands. And you looked in his face and you prayed. And Christians would do that. Where is it that the only way you can be blessed is if you give into their life and give into their ministry? I don't see it. And when you spend more time trying to raise money than you do trying to reach souls, what you put money into it anyway? And they all get on there, we're reaching thousands of people. Well, guess what? The next guy's reaching the same thousand people. You'll never go wrong by investing your money through the local church. Amen. You'll never go wrong by investing your money in something that's going to be stable and, and has accountability. I don't know where these people are going at night. I don't know what they're doing. I know what they're telling me, but I know one thing. I know wherever dollar goes when you invest it in the local church. And there's accountability. There's, a, there's people that put it where it goes because we're not spending. We're investing it for the glory of God. There are too many sheep wolves out there in sheep's clothing. This is not an attack on all television preachers, just on some. Ask yourself the question, is what they're teaching and preaching biblical? Is what they're saying to me, is it in this book? If it's not, click. You know what click means? Turn her off. We've got another wolf that's crawled into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's call it conservative compromise. Christians love the word conservative. We're conservative in our politics. We're conservative in a lot of things, but let's call this conservative politics or conservative uh, compromise. This wolf has sneaked into the church fellowship with lightning speed. He's run into it. It's not the attack from without that caused the problem. It's this insidious, vicious attack from the inside. I understand the Great Wall of China was breached three times in its history. 
And never was an enemy from the outside breached it. It was because somebody bribed the gatekeeper. And that's how the Great Wall of China was breached. Here's how it works. Today, the church has got to give people, they say, what they want. We're living in a modern day. Many people will not tolerate the preaching of the gospel. They want a watered-down version of it. You can't reach young people with the truth today. You've got to make them feel comfortable in their own skin. You've got to tone down your message just a little bit. You can't speak on controversial subjects because it might be offensive to their little ears. Don't talk about sin. Don't mention the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't say there's only one way to God, the Father, and only one way to heaven because that is offensive and that is hate speech. Don't call sin, sin. And don't say this is right and that's wrong because people got to be comfortable in their own skin. Give them what they want. This is conservative compromise. Let's change the pronouns to make the comfortable feel, make the sinner feel comfortable rather than letting the power of God change them. I said before, if we're changing all these pronouns, start calling me handsome every time. If you're going to lie about these other things, might as well lie about that. (laughs) When churches get to the point that in order to have great masses of people, they'll change the truth of God's word that in the insidious wolf has made its way inside the church. This is not about numbers for numbers again. It's not about how many people can we get in here. It's about how many people have come to know the Lord. How many people follow the teachings of God's word. How many people are disciples of Jesus Christ. How many people will stand when the wolves are howling and how many will compromise when they come running? Brothers and sisters, let me hurry. The practical result's the same. The church is not in the business of getting numbers for numbers' sake at the sacrifice of the word of God. Let's use your logic for a minute. What's the difference between a liberal preacher who says he doesn't believe the Bible and therefore doesn't preach it and a conservative preacher who says he does believe the Bible but afraid to preach it? Put that in your Pentecostal pipe and take a drag on it. Let's read it again. What's the difference between a liberal preacher who says he does not believe the word of God and therefore doesn't preach it and a conservative preacher who says he does believe it but's afraid to preach it? The results are the same. To me, that is the conservative compromise. See a lot of those pus bellies on TV as well. We're going to preach a happy doctrine. Let's make you feel good on earth. But are we preparing people for heaven? Let's make us feel good on the earth. But are we warning people of hell? Let's make people feel good in their sins. And the whole time we've got the key to unlock the prison doors that'll free them. God help us. There are people who were in services where I preached in the past who are no longer in the presence of the services today. 
And I've got to say, Lord, was I faithful? Lord, did I tell them the truth? Lord, did I prepare them for eternity? Did I warn them, God, about hell? Did I tell them, Lord, there's a way to get out of sin? Did I tell them that there's a God that loves them? Did I show them there's a power that can rescue them? These are things I think about. I don't want to be guilty of not telling people about the love of God, the mercy of God, the power of God, and the presence of God. Did I prepare people for heaven when they died? Will there be people stand before God on the day of judgment and be, be there as a judge? And before they hear that sentence of depart from me, you workers of iniquity, will anybody be there pointing their finger and say, Pastor, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you warn me? Why don't you have enough gumption? Why don't you have enough what, intestinal integrity to warn me and to tell me and to love me enough? To say there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shine. You can find a lot of people that can preach the gospel a whole lot better than I can. But friend, you'll never find anybody who can preach a better gospel than I can. It's God's word. It's God's truth. It's not patty cake, sermonettes. It's got to be the integrity and truth of God's word. If it offends, it offends. If it hurts, it hurts. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. I want the word of God to be my guide, to be my anchor, and to be my life. Amen. Finally, we have a witness regarding spiritual defense. In Acts 20, 32, Paul says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God. I've thought about Paul's farewell address through the years over and over again. Now, brethren, I commend you to God. How Paul's heart must have broken. How he loved the church. How he loved those people. To warn them of the wolves from without and the wolves from within. How he was with them in times of trial and test and sickness and funerals and baby dedications and family struggles. I look over this congregation just in a small tonight as it is. I see many battles that many of us have gone through together. Holding each other's hands, drying each other's tears, trying to console each other and pour ourselves into each other. And I've come to the place in my ministry to you where I say, brethren, I commend you to God. He's saying, I'm praying for you. Prayer is our first defense. It is not our last resort. We ought to be praying one for another, praying for each other. Then he says, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance, I commend you to the word of God. 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 Stand on this Word. Use this Word in battle. When you're lonely, take out this Word. When you're hurting, take out this Word. 
when you don't know what to do, take out the road map. I commend you to the word of God. When you sit under strong biblical teaching, you'll become a better Christian. Study the Bible for yourself. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it in order to be holy. An unread Bible is like an unread, unopened love letter. An unread Bible is like food that's uneaten. An unread Bible is like a map that's unstudied. An unread Bible is like a gold mine that's yet to be explored. Get into the Bible. Read it. Study it. Believe it. Let it build you up in the most holy faith. It'll grow you. It'll give you the spiritual teeth and claws that you need to withstand the wolves that attack from without and the wolves that attack from within. Then Paul says, it will assure you. (laughs) It will assure you. In an unsure day, in a time of sinking sand, we've got to have something to stand upon that we can be sure of. It is the unchangeable, unadulterated word of God. In fact, if you're saved, you're wealthy. You are fabulously wealthy. It may not reflect on your bank account. Your stockbrokers may not see it, notice it, or know anything about it. But if you are a child of God, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He has been building our mansions for over 2,000 years. And if it took him six days to make this earth, I cannot wait to see what he has prepared for those of us that love him. Praise God. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest thing you can do. And he has a retirement plan that is out of this world, literally. Thank God I can't wait to see my new home. And there's one where the termites can't touch it. The wolves can't huff and puff and blow the walls down. We know all about it. All we like to say, all oh, the streets of gold and walls of jasper and, and green plants and the river life, all that's good. But friend, we're missing the point. The thing that's going to make heaven heaven is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If our mind's upon all the wealth of the city and we miss him, he's the gem of the city. He's the gold mine of the city. He's the light of the city. He's the reason for going to heaven. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified the lion of the tribe of Judah that hath prevailed. Thank God we're wealthy and we're going home and I praise God for that. We have an inheritance. Imagine if someone came knocking on your door tomorrow afternoon, called you by name. Are you you brother Steve Carroll? Yes, I'm Steve Carroll. Well, you had this uncle out in Hong Kong. I don't have no uncle in Hong Kong. Yes, you do. You may not have been aware of him, but you got an uncle in Hong Kong and he was a very brilliant man, an entrepreneur, and he was wealthy and he died and you're the only heir to his wealth. You're going to argue with or accept it? You want to accept it? Yeah. Thank you. What I got to do? Sign on the dotted line and it's yours. Next thing you know, this guy, he's rich. I write to tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ has an inheritance for you. He's written down your name, and that's a guarantee that heaven is our home. We have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven, uncorrupt, undefiled, 
reserved for you and me. And all you got to do is claim it. I don't want no wolf coming and robbing me from my inheritance. I don't want no sin to come in and rob me from my inheritance. Stay in the book. Stay in the book. If you'll get in the word, the word will get into you.